I mean, I think that's why I consider it to still be an athletic endeavor, even though it's not a physically output, the cognitive outputs through the roof. And there's a continuum between the cognitive and the physical side and just kind of where you fall within that. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Looms. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we have Taylor Johnson, Chief Performance Engineer at StateSpace. StateSpace is a neuroscience and AI gaming company developing holistic training tools to increase human cognitive performance with a particular focus on esports and gaming, from casual gamers all the way up to esports pro athletes. Taylor's background is in human performance within elite sports, starting out the collegiate football teams and progressing into the NFL as a strength and conditioning coach for the San Francisco 49ers. In 2017, he made the rather unusual leap into the world of gaming and esports, translating the same health and wellness principles embedded in traditional sports to enable increased performance and recovery of esports athletes and gamers. In addition to learning more about Taylor's rather unusual career path, we also discussed the notion of esports athletes as exactly that, athletes. And that's certainly something that Taylor is uh, well positioned to discuss. Some people really kind of makes their skin crawl, uh, to put it on the most extreme term, to refer to an esports athlete as an athlete. And then other people are quite accepting of it. They're performing a skill. They're getting paid for that skill within something that is a, a competition with spectators, a sporting arena. I think if you haven't made your mind up or you are feeling strongly either way, then, then definitely come into uh, this with an open mind and hear from Taylor. As I said, someone who is very uniquely placed to discuss both sides of it, working both at the pinnacle of what you would consider traditional sports and the, the most athletic, in air quotes, of the athletes with NFL players in the San Francisco 49ers and now being on the other side and working with esports athletes. We also discuss why these esports athletes and gamers need performance coaching just as much as traditional athletes, uh, especially with the current career of a pro esports player only being two to four years. To wrap it up, we also discuss some of the non-sporting applications of the cognitive training developed by StateSpace. As always, you can see the show notes and hear some more episodes at sportstechfeed.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me, then feel free to reach out thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. Always interested to hear your views. I think this episode is probably going to prompt a few interesting comments and and feedback, so please reach out. We'll also post it on LinkedIn so you can uh, continue the conversation there. That's all from me for now. Here's Taylor Johnson. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed, Taylor Johnson, Chief Performance Engineer at State Space. Great to have you on the show. Hey, pleasure to be here. So, I mean, esports, kind of the direction that the conversation is going to take today, I think it's it's fairly straightforward, but um, the, the nugget of it is, is esports equivalent to traditional professional sports in terms of seeing it as an athletic pursuit. And that's the kind of like the broad nugget that I want to get to um, sure. because obviously there's ways that technology influences all that. But to get to that point, could you share a little bit about what you do at State Space, um, and then after that we can dive into your career progression to get there? Yeah, sure. So at State Space, my role uh, kind of has a lot of different angles. Um, I work with uh, a lot of the, the special projects that kind of come our way. So last year, it was a lot of the events and activations and uh, helping coordinate, put on our Science of Gaming Summit, which was a huge success, which we were very proud of. 
Um, and now it's it kind of leaning more into a lot of the, the esports performance and the education and how we build out those programs that really fits into the model of what we're doing with our with our core product, which is AimLab, which is a first person shooter training platform. Uh, it's free to play on stream. It's had great success and growing and growing in numbers with that. So it's um, it's been a very fun experience, especially coming from my background in traditional sports and which is very much solving problems with individuals. And now it's doing that same sort of thing, but taking mass input from our users and collaborating with our team members to really think about, you know, what could be the next uh, tips and tricks uh, to really help enhance overall performance. Yeah. And so to, to understand state space, are you focused on just that elite performance in terms of esports, or is it um, your casual gamer can, can get involved? Yeah, it's the full spectrum. So it goes anything from casual gamer to aspiring pro to, to the, the top of the, the level of the pro ranks. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of it is, you know, training is training. And I think whether you're a casual gamer just wanting to beat your friends or you're an aspiring pro to get to that pro level, or if you're already a pro player who's, you know, been in the trenches grinding the, grinding the game and really want to level up in certain areas. And, and again, at that level, at the pro level, you know, the difference between you and somebody else is just very marginal gains, right? It's just like that in traditional sports. But there are certain things that you can test mechanically and with the skill-wise to to really see where you're at and ways you can possibly improve. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that's uh, used a lot when trying to explain esports as a burgeoning industry, as something that's very new for a lot of people, um, especially people in influential positions in traditional sports. I mean, you look at the profile, um, a little bit older, not a digital native, didn't grow up playing video games, doesn't understand uh, had the social element of it either. So not understanding games that it is, it's not just sitting in your basement by yourself. There is a social engagement level and then professional sports, all that stuff that is a barrier to people understanding it. We use analogies a lot. So we say it's like this, it's like that. That's a very long winded <laughs> lineup to a question, but do you think esports and sports those analogies pretty much you find one that matches either way like is there pretty much a direct lineup um at all times in terms of helping people to understand um esports as compared to traditional sports yeah i mean a lot of the examples that i use are um especially explaining a lot of the training that we do or like the training program or the platform that we have is you know if you take like american football where you have a practice script and you have, you know, team period, special period, individual period, offense, defense, and you're thinking about schematically different um, technical and tactical abilities that you're trying to enhance relative to the game and working backwards from game day. You know, what we've done with, with aim lab is we kind of break up these different skills into these three domains, um, perception, cognition, and motor skills. And we have different tasks that kind of fit within that. And so I think one of the better analogies is thinking about, you know, okay, so in American football, if you're uh, offensive defensive lineman, you're you're practicing certain certain drills that get you better for the game, and then relative to the certain the opponents that you're playing, well, we can get fairly close to that. Same sort of thing with what we're doing in Aim Lab and the training scenarios, and it's all context based. I mean, that's why one of our one of our key functions is making sure the sensitivity crosses over directly to the games that they want to play. So whether it's Apex, Fortnite, Call of Duty. 
um, or even like Valorant now, which is the new game that's that's just massive. Um, so just sorry, just to jump in there for people that don't, yeah. don't understand that point, that's around game engine game physics. Is that correct in the sense of say you have a first person shooter or an FPS that you move the the mouse or whatever at this speed, um, correct, and it matches that on the screen and yep. similar also. Um, I've been trying to understand a bit about Valorant. Don't play it myself, but trying to just understand it sure. um, in terms of the how it fits in the in the esports universe. And people were talking about different size kill boxes and sure. different that as compared to something like Counter Strike Go. Yeah. So, so the big it, thing with the sensitivity on that point is like, so let's say uh, if you don't match the sensitivities, it would be like going to the basketball court and shooting basketball with like a five pound basketball. And then going and playing with a normal basketball, and there's obviously going to be a difference in feel. So if you don't match up the sensitivities, well, then there's a disconnect between your practice and game scenarios. So you want to try to get the two as similar as you can. And then I guess another example when you're talking about, um, you know, thinking about the analogies between traditional sports and esports, and you know, let's take football for instance, uh, not American football, but football, soccer. And you have a small side of games and you have different set pieces and what you're trying to orchestrate in terms of different moves and tactics. Well, a lot of players in the professional level and aspiring pro, even casual players, I mean, they do those same sort of things. It's very, very strategic. And it's, I mean, I think that's why I consider it to still be an athletic endeavor, even though it's not a physically output, the cognitive outputs through the roof. And there's a continuum between the cognitive and the physical side and just kind of where you fall within that. Yeah, and that's something that I, I do really want to kind of dive into. But before we get into that, um, can you share a little bit about your career progression and, and how you've reached this point in esports? Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's been a wild ride, man. Honestly, I never thought I would be in this industry, but I'm so grateful that I am. Um, you know, so I, I started out as a classically trained strength conditioning coach, worked my way up through the ranks uh, in college and made it to the NFL where I coached for two years with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and I've always told my told everybody that, you know, my, my passion is performance, but it's my curiosity that navigates me through the world. So as it relates to the realm of traditional sports and athletic performance, I was very curious about all facets of sleep and recovery and periodization and nutrition and sports science and how to blend all of those together to really create the most optimal programs for your athletes to play best at game day. Um, and a lot of that, you know, kind of all came to uh, fruition when I was with the 49ers where I was overseeing our sports science and I helped with the nutrition and I was in the weight room. That was my bread and butter and helping with rehab. So that was a very fun space for me to be in where I could really deploy all that stuff that I'd learned at that point. Uh, and it was interesting, you know, the two years I was there, it was fantastic. I loved it. And also it was like the two years where we were absolutely terrible and uh, went two back-to-back -back years of just horrible seasons. I was there with, uh, with Chip Kelly and, and it was, um, it was pretty tough. Right. And we made it through one coaching change and I didn't think we we're going to make it through another. And I was like, all right, well, I've always been entrepreneurial minded. Um, I wanted to have a much bigger impact on what I was able to have at that professional level in the NFL, more specifically towards youth and the next generation of who's going to be coming up. And I was like, all right, well, if there's ever a time to pivot, now's the time. The NFL will always be there. I could always go back to that if I choose to. And yeah, decided to pivot. And that was halfway through that second season. I started reaching out to, you know, friends and colleagues and mentors and asking about what, what might else be out there. If, you know, knowing me, what else might be out there, something I'd be interested in. And one of my buddies, 
uh, was the CEO of a tech company. He goes, hey, you should check out esports. And I had known of it. I just didn't realize how big it had gotten. So and you weren't you weren't kind of in the esports world, quote unquote. I was not. No, yeah. I was not. I mean, my one of my roommates back in the day was you know an avid gamer. I used to game with him, but I was absolutely terrible. But I always yeah. appreciated the level of strategy and the, and the the technique and the tactics that went into it. And so I kind of rediscovered gaming and esports because there's actually a distinction there, and got really fascinated by that. And my mind immediately went to performance based. I was like, okay, well, how do you, how do you train? What's practice look like? How do you recover? What's travel look like? What are the overall structures, systems, and scheduling that are built into these professional levels and the semi-pro levels? And then it's like, who's, who's talking to them or teaching them about health and wellness and performance and recovery. And at the time there weren't a lot of people in that space. And I saw that as a huge void. I'm like, all right, well, well, that's what I'm going to do. And, and certainly something that the cliche of, of esports is health and wellness would not appear in the same sentence. The, the cliche is you sit in your mum's basement, you live on 7-Up and Doritos and you don't see sunlight and it's all that kind of stuff. And that negative, um, incorrect, um, not particularly helpful cliche, um, I think is something that sports gone a long way to or the industry, because it's not a sport, it's, it's a number of sports, different titles, yes. are yep. like different sports within that, within esports. And back to your point around esports and gaming, gaming is the pickup basketball you, you play um, at your local park. Esports is professionals or semi-professional. Yep, it's, it's the competitive, yeah. Yeah, so just just for to, because um, they are often used interchangeably and something that is also lost in the mix is someone like Ninja or a famous streamer is may enter esports competitions and may enter as a professional athlete in the esports realm, but their bread and butter is entertainment, is streaming. Yep. Um, so the equivalent of uh, someone, there's the guy on uh, Instagram, I'm trying to think of his name, he does cr- trick shots, like trick uh, catches and things like that. Like that's, that's kind of similar-ish, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of skill, but not the same thing. So yeah, coming into that, and, and as I said, health and wellness what was the state of the industry and kind of what did you what did you come into was it as bad as you think it was was it better was it was there just no engagement was there anyone thinking we need to be talking about this or was it a lot of education um to begin with well i think it's always education i mean even in traditional sports excuse me at the you know at the college and the professional level there's still a lot of education even though a lot of athletes come up just knowing that's the way to do things or that's how you should do things. There's still a lot of education on the why behind it. And so with esports, it was no different. It was, I think people understood at some level, like, yeah, this could be important, but they just didn't really grasp the why. And so a lot of the conversation that I had initially was really approaching it from the, from the angle of, you know, your brain is your moneymaker, right? So you being able to have a very high cognitive output, with focus, resiliency, and do that day to day for many hours during the day is going to be the difference between you and somebody else getting a pro contract or or staying pro for as long as you can. So it's about performance and it's about longevity. And the longevity piece was really geared towards having them think a little bit differently about their careers of not like, yes, it's the here and the now that is important, but also where am I going to be two, four years from now, five, 10 years from now? 
Because what's interesting when I when I started looking at the space is the average career for a pro gamer in their prime, in their quote unquote prime, was you know two to four years in length, depending on the game title. And I was like, that's crazy because and what age have, is that? Just quickly on that. So two oh, to four years. And, it's and young. I mean, it's early twenties, early twenties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, when people start going pro, it could be anywhere from like 17, 18. And then by the time they're 21, 22, that's when they start to kind of hit their prime, which is ridiculous. You know, now it's, it's shifted a little bit because I think more people are starting to get in tune with their bodies a bit and, and take care of themselves. So that was a big, t- that was a big talking point. Uh, and also, you know, again, going back to the conversation around, this is about performance, longevity, that means more money for you, more money for your families. And thinking about, you know, these three pillars around like how do you build out this 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 player that can be agile, not only in the game, but then outside the game. And you have player development, both personal and professional. So putting together programs and education around understanding time management, stress management, finances, social media, relationships, both healthy and toxic, um, things along that nature. And then the, the second pillar is around esports performance. So that could be lifestyle, mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery. And the third would be a bridge program to give them the mentorship and tools to then go be successful for life after gaming, whether they want to go into streaming or content creation, or if they want to go be a caster, or if they want to go into some other industry, it's given them the opportunities to be able to pivot. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, at the end of the day, these are young adults who are dedicating a lot of time and energy making a lot of money, but they're dedicating a lot of time and energy to one specific craft. And it's giving them the opportunity to see like, yes, with those skill sets, you can then open that up into a lot more opportunities that go beyond just the game itself. Yeah. Which is, I mean, an absolute no brainer when, when you lay it out like that and something as well, that traditional sports surprisingly still struggles with, um, especially on that last pillar, which is essentially life skills, um, preparing yourself for life after sports. And I guess, in esports, and, and my assumption is that people aren't as burnt out as uh, professional athletes. Say the, the body of a an ex college player, an ex um, NFL player, um, in terms of burnout at the end of career and what the toll it takes on their body. Is that a correct assumption, or is there is there some well, sort of mental burnout from the stress? And yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it's um, it's a different type of burnout. It's a cognitive yeah. burnout. It's a very it's a very and I haven't experienced that myself, although I've experienced burnout with work because I tend to, to overwork at times and then I need to dial myself back and get more work-life balance. And I think that goes for a lot of people. And I think, you know, when you talk about the burnout of traditional athletes, it's a lot more of the physical tax that they take on their body, especially if you're looking at some of these, you know, some of the linebackers or the offensive defense alignment or the running backs in American football where they're taking a beating every single snap, Right. Uh, in gaming, it's a much more cognitively taxing. Um, it's long hours. It's staying up for, for, you know, long times during the day. It's back-to-back games. The travel schedules are quite crazy, although right now it's, it's very different. So I think not getting the, the, the proper recovery and allowing themselves to really replenish, you know, body, mind, and spirit in between these big games, I mean, that's, that's what tends to compound over time and then leads to a different type of burnout. And I guess in terms of accessibility, uh, you're up, you're there, you're at your computer, your laptop, whatever device, you know, your console. Um, as I think a lot of people who are working from home for the first time are realizing that uh, when, when your workstation's only meters or feet from your bed, um, it can be pretty hard to switch off as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. So 
and on that, is that so? Is that the reason for that two to four year um, kind of average career span? Is is because of burnout, and, and also following on from that, why is it at such a young age that yeah. these these athletes are burning out? So uh, to your first point, I mean that 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 year, the two to four years in, in range, you know, for that burnout. Um, you know, there's more research that's coming out now. The good thing about all of this and where we're at right now in the current state of, of gaming and esports is a lot more research is now being done to answer those questions. So a lot of, a lot of the times you have like overuse injuries, you know, so those are the physical injuries because you're, you're in certain positions for long periods of time. So you tend to get overuse injuries very much like you would uh, in other sports and whatever you're doing. Um, and the cognitive side, or sorry, you went, we talked about the age. I think that age range is because they start so young. I mean, they start gaming heavily at a younger age and then that just compounds. And by the time they get to an aspiring pro professional level, it's kind of like this. It's the way it's always been done sort of idea where if you look to other styles of of players that maybe come from Korea or overseas, that their whole mentality is to grind the game. They'll play 10, 12 hours a day. Well, that's the way it's always been done. They're some of the best in the world. So that's a confirmation bias. So we need to do it that way. And I think a lot more teams are getting more smart about how they program and put together their practice scripts. So there's actually more breaks in between. They don't burn their players out as much. And they're now being more methodical in terms of when they were traveling. Okay, well, how where are we traveling? What time zones? How do we need to work backwards from that and make sure we plan accordingly so that we can take into consideration you know, jet lag and all these other variables that then come into play that could impact performance. So in years past, it's been very much like, well, this is the way it's always been done. Let's do that. Now it's starting to kind of turn and take the performance model from traditional sports. Um, Complexity, which is owned, a part owner of the Dallas Cowboys, they're a great example. They're very forward thinking in how they take care of their athletes and really plan out their practice and periodization. Um, probably more so than a lot of the teams, but there are a lot more teams are getting more in tune with that, which is great to see. Yeah. And I, it, I mean, it's like in anything in, in sports or anything competitive, as soon as you see um, discernible gains from it, then it starts becoming an industry standard because yep. uh, you just can't keep up. And, yep. if and if you're not at the leading edge of science and technology, well then you will be left behind. Yeah. And the question you got to ask yourself is, you know, are you successful because of or in spite of everything you've done, which is really hard to answer. And I would pose that question like when I worked for Infinite and we had our five organizations and 14 professional teams. That was a conversation, one of the very first conversations I had to get them curious about, well, maybe we should try something different because that's a very hard question to answer. And what I've found is at the core, everybody's at least a little bit curious about how to make themselves better. Right. But if you can word it in a way where it lands for them, where it can be most meaningful and impactful with, okay, their, their brain, cognitive performance. That's obviously very important because it's the processing, the cognition and the motor skills, the output to then execute those, those techniques and tactics on, on a daily basis. Well, then you can kind of get them hooked into this idea of, okay, well then what feeds into that? Well, it's your nutrition, it's your mindset, it's recovery, it's sleep, it's exercise. So then that kind of opened up the gateway to have all those other conversations of different modalities to use. And that became like that esports e- performance model. And are the competitors, the, the esports athletes, are they receptive to that? Yeah, you know, I think a majority of them are. 
Um, it takes time. I mean, it was interesting, you know, me, I think what helped when I started working with teams is coming from the NFL, because most, most people can recognize the shield and the NFL. And I think there was a little bit of that coming in where they listened from that standpoint, but I was very honest. I was like, look, guys, you know, guys and girls, cause we had some female teams. I'm like, look, I don't know much about gaming right now, but I want to learn with you. And here's what I know can help level up your performance in these areas now let's learn from each other. And I think that was just being honest and not trying to claim that I knew everything uh, helped a lot. I mean, it was very much like, I'm here to help you. First and foremost, I'm here for you. And that opened up a lot of trust and really built trust over time. And, you know, a funny example of that is when I was, uh, when I was at Infinite, we had eight of our 14 teams on site. We had a training facility and we had scheduled blocks of time where they'd come in and they would train. And it was very much like a traditional sport structure where we had, you know, our training sessions. They'd get nutrition on the way in, on the way out. They'd, they'd do their movement prep. They'd do the recovery at the end. And we spent four weeks teaching them how to foam roll and do basic mobility. And I told them, I'm like, look, you know, after two weeks, you'll start to feel better. Right now, it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. But after two weeks, you're going to start to feel better. You're going to move a little bit better. A lot of that back pain you're getting, you're not going to get that. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And then sure enough, you know, two weeks in, they're like, you know what? I do feel better. I'm like, yeah. And then they started buying the foam rollers and buying the lacrosse balls. And they would send me pictures. I'd be like, hey, I got it, coach. Like, look, here's what I'm doing. And then it got to a point where after around four weeks, they're like, all right, I'm bored. I'm like, oh, you're bored? Perfect. Let's move on. So it was really trying to build out those habits and get them used to feeling what it could be like to start to build those habits over time, which then turns into a lifestyle change. Yeah. And as you said at the beginning, it's, it's all about um, working with that individual, individual yeah. athlete for the best performance. So you're not going to get someone to just chuck them on a squat rack or no. <laughs> you know, put them through the NFL combine, see how many um, bench presses they can, they can put out. It's all about coming yeah. to them where they're at and what they need. So yeah, it's an organic development of a program. And I think, you know, the old, the, the late Charlie Francis, who was a track and field coach for Ben Johnson, one of his classic phrases was, you know, watch the player, not the game. So in order to really understand what's needed of that individual on a daily basis, you need to watch them as they play. And that'll tell you what type of training that you need to do. And then all of the, the pillars that then support that game training or that game performance, that's where you start to fill in the gaps of, you know, about 70% of what you do is, is what's been tried and true in science, you know, about the nutrition and recovery and general exercise for improving cardiovascular output, which improves BDNF and, and which is your brain derived nootropic factor for cognitive performance. I mean, all that stuff's pretty standard. And then the last, you know, 30% is broken up into smaller chunks, which very individualized for that person. And that's where it's fun to kind of play around and build out those programs. So that's something that your, as you said, it was the the standards in the industry in terms of of all those accepted, scientifically proved ways to improve just a human being as a human being at the elite level, their output, whether that's physical, cognitive, whatever that is. Um, so the science of gaming uh, kind of events that you've put together, can you share a little bit about that? Because I think it's really interesting on this point about building the industry and educating people. It's not just educating the likes of me that kind of sits on the outside and, and wants to understand it, but educating people within the industry. Sure. Yeah. So last year uh, we put on our science of gaming summit, 
which was a one-day event in New York City at OS Studios, which is a phenomenal venue to be at. And we brought in players, coaches, analysts, um, practitioners, like healthcare practitioners, researchers, everybody that we, we thought uh, that was doing really cool stuff in the space. And there was obviously a lot of interest in getting people together in the conversation so that we could give them a platform to share all the cool things that they were up to. Um, our CEO at State Space is a neuroscientist from NYU, and he was, you know, so much of what he's done has been research-based, and he's an avid gamer as well. And so we really wanted to bridge the gap between the scientific community and what's currently being done with what's happening in esports and gaming, and then think about, well, what could the potential be, and really use that as a platform to, again, highlight awesome individuals in the space that are up to some really cool stuff as it relates to gaming and performance and just the research in general, and then pose the questions around, well, what's next? So here's what's happening now. Here are the things that we're looking at. Here are the conversations that we're having. Um, what's possible? I mean, anything's really possible as long as you, you just got to start the conversation. And so we, we hope to do that. I mean, we're planning on doing it this year again. It may not be in person depending on how things go with everything with COVID, but um, you know, we, we plan to do that every year and, and have it be a platform to really showcase other, other people in the industry that are doing amazing things and have pro players sharing their experience and their journey, like their path to pro, which I always think is super fascinating. Um, everybody's got their own unique story and sharing. And that's kind of what this Science of Gaming series has turned into as an extension of that summit into smaller, uh, smaller shorter videos with subject matter experts, players and coaches with the subject matter experts, it's again taking topics and concepts that are maybe in traditional sports or other industries and then bringing them into esports and seeing what the transfer could be. Or if they're already doing stuff in the gaming and esport industry, highlighting that application and how it could serve, you know, all of the people that are that are gaming that just want to get better. And then the players and the coaches have taken, you know, best practices, tips, tricks, and their life stories around how they got to where they are now and what they think the future could be and having them showcase that in, you know, short video clips that we can share with everybody. And is there cross-pollination with traditional sports? Uh, obviously, there is taking traditional sports, uh, the principles, practices, everything that's established there and then taking them and going, as you said, how do you fit this into esports? Is it at the stage yet where it's going the other way? Like, are you bringing in people from traditional sports? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what I, what's so exciting about what we're doing in the gaming and esports space on the research front is I 100% feel that a lot of what we're doing now with the research is going to circle back and inform traditional sports, military, and corporate America. Because a lot of that cognitive performance and understanding those domains of perception, cognition, and motor skills as relates to very highly focused tasks the way we can start to capture that data and look at input and output, you know, that information is very useful and we can use that in a lot of different ways. An example, you know, with state space, we, we submitted a grant for stroke rehab using aim lab as part of a stroke rehab grant with John Hopkins, NYU and Mount Sinai, you know, for healthcare and using it. Because if you think about it, a lot of the, the rehab for stroke rehab, um, you know, is, fine motor skills, trying to get everything back online. The problem is that a lot of the rehab is very boring, but aim lab is very fun. So it's using the gamification and the different gaming applications to then use that in different, different subsets. So it could be applied to healthcare, military. I mean, last year we did a cognitive combine with the NFL hall of fame, and that was to do like a cognitive assessment as part of the integrative medicine program that they're doing with Jim Laval. 
with the with the Hall of Fame healthcare, uh, and that was really cool too. So yes, you, to your question is yes. There's definitely it's going to complete the circle, and I think for me that's really exciting having come from traditional sports and always been like, well, it's not just physical. You know, there's so much more going on. You know, under the hood for these individual athletes, and then now thinking about it at a, at a much from a different angle is a lot of fun. Yeah, and I guess that answers the question, are esports athletes athletes? Well, I mean, it's, it's a yes. It's that cognitive level. It's And the proof is in the pudding if it comes back across to work with traditional, um, traditional yep. sports. In terms of like performance, I mean, everybody competes in some way, shape or form. You know, and I think it depends on the definition of athlete you know, or, you know, professional athlete is if you're getting paid for it and if it's, you know, spectators and it's for some sort of compensation, it's for in a league or whatever, but everybody competes in some way, shape or form. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor, lawyer, uh, a soccer mom, a stay at home dad, professional gamer or not, you know, you have to step up and, and your arena is the environment that you're in every single day. And so training is training and preparation is preparation. And there's no difference between, you know, well, there are some differences, but the 70%, the, those like core constituents of what you'd want to do to optimize your life are the same across the board. And then it's just that 30% where you start to drill into the details. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I think that's a great way to kind of finish up the, the main part of the conversation there. Uh, I'll definitely include some links um, to the Science of Gaming series if people want to check that out themselves, learn a little awesome. bit more. Um, and potentially even get involved. Um, some of our friends from traditional sports, I, w- I would say that uh, in that search for constant search for the one percent, um, if you're working in professional sports in some sort of coaching, uh, performance science capacity, then why wouldn't you look at esports? If it is that one percent that gets your athletes uh, that little bit better, then then definitely worth looking at. So to finish up, what is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Favorite sporting moment of all time. Hmm. For myself personally or wa- you, watching you, the sport? You, you personally. You, you as a fan, as a spectator. You can also say as, as a coach, if there's an athlete that you worked with, um, just take it however you want. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, ha- doesn't have to be professional. can be amateur. Yeah, that's a great question. I, so, you know, it's not a specific event, but I will say one of the most memorable things for me as a coach having coached in college for a majority of my career. <clears throat> it was my first it was my first NFL game. We were playing Houston at Houston and we had three players on the 49ers that I had coached in college and two players on the Houston Texans and we stood on the 50-yard line and took a picture. And for me being a coach in college and seeing how hungry these young men were to make it to that next level and then having been on that field on game day, having my guys around me and them saying thank you. I and mean, that was that was probably my favorite moment. For me and being a coach, I mean that's that's what we do it for. Yeah, definitely. For them to to even take the field and then to be able to perform at their best. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well thank you so much for your time today. Uh really appreciate that. I'll I'll put some links in the uh, show notes to kind of all that stuff, some state search stuff, look at the aim lab and obviously the science of gaming. Uh, and maybe if we can dig out that photo or even some footage from that game, um, I might include that in the show notes. Yeah, so cool. People right have on. A bit of a sense of that. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much, Taylor. We'll, uh, we'll catch you later. All right, brother. Cheers. 
And there you have it. That was Taylor Johnson, Chief Performance Engineer from State Space. Really interesting chat there. Uh, really like the perspective that Taylor brings, obviously coming from the elite performance on the traditional sports side and, and much more of the physical, uh, and then going to esports where it's all about the cognitive uh, performance and issues with burnout in, in that respect. But I will say something that was very interesting, and, and I think we kind of got to it at the, at the last uh, part of the conversation there, was about how both traditional sports and esports can learn from each other. Um, and that's true for other uh, high-intensity, uh, high-stress and high-performance situations uh, within the military, within business circles, uh, and then just day-to-day life that uh, we all encounter. So that was a really kind of nice um, nice summing up there and, and the way that, that, as he said, he hopes to see traditional sports learning from esports to complete the circle, uh, so to speak. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, sportstechfeed.com if you've got any show notes uh, that you want to check out or more episodes. Uh, we've had some interesting sessions on esports recently. We had the, the panel discussion uh, two weeks ago. had a really good session last week with Sam Lee from Cena Sports talking about the impact of COVID-19 on, on sports in China um, and in general doing business in China and also how they're beginning to open the country back up. So a few learnings for people working within sports in the West about what that world could look like. Always interested to hear your thoughts and feedback, including suggesting guests or topics. You can contact me on LinkedIn, Thomas Alomes, A-L-O-M-E-S. There's only one of me out there, I think, so fairly easy to find. Uh, Just shoot me a message on LinkedIn or also contact me on email, thomas at sportstech.com feed.com or thomas at sportstechworldseries.com which of course sports tech world series that's the broader community and umbrella under which sports tech feed sits and we're here for anything you need in sports tech we see ourselves as the glue that binds the global community so we're happy to help out in any way so check out sportstechworldseries.com as well and until next week i've been your host thomas loams thanks for joining us (laughs) 